That image up on the screen says one big happy family. And it's like, well, my, have, my house is not like that, maybe you're saying. Or maybe you're like, man, my, I don't have one big happy family. It feels like everything's a mess whenever I'm home and whenever I'm around. And maybe there's different questions, be it dating, be it singleness, be it married, be it parenting, all different kind of stages of life. And I remember a few years ago, Kelly and I were going to be doing some premarital counseling for some couples that were going to get married. And I thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool to get some married couples in here, too, so that, like, the new, the people who are about to get married can, can learn from them. And so I sent a text out to one of them, and it just said, I, I, what I meant to say, what it was supposed to say is, hey, come on and join us. We're going to have a mixed group of, of couples who are married and engaged. And instead, Siri got me, and it said, married and enslaved. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes that's what people would say marriage is like, sadly. And so we want to talk about sort of these different stages of life and these different struggles that we have when it comes to relationship. Again, like I said, there's all different stages of life here in the room. And so this, the last several weeks, we've had this Q&A available for you guys to send in questions and, and just send in your thoughts about these different things you might be struggling with as you're thinking about dating, as you're thinking about your singleness or, or marriage or parenting and maybe these different questions that come up. And you guys sent in some great questions. So we're going to spend this week and next week talking about these different types of things. You might be saying, Doug, I feel like Valentine's Day would have been a better time of year to do something like this. But do you know what? As we were thinking about it, you know, over the next several weeks, there's a lot of interaction with families, isn't there? Like over the less, next month or so. And also, single people, those who wish they were married, those who are in a marriage that they're unhappy in, those who are married that wish they had kids and they don't have kids. Like depression is huge around this time of year. Depression is huge around the holidays and this time of year. And so we thought, man, what a perfect time to talk about some of these things that many of us struggle with. And so I just want to kind of say a couple things up front. The first thing is Kelly and I are not the perfect spouses to one another. We are not the perfect uh, parents to our three awesome kids. We're not, we did not date perfectly, and we were not perfect single people. And you're like, well, then why would we listen to you? You would listen to us because we're not going to share with you tonight our opinion. Tonight we're going to share with you what God has to say about all these things. And sometimes we're going to literally have a verse up on the screen, but at the very least, everything we say is coming through the lens of biblical truth and what God would have to say about it and what he might want to do. The other thing I want to say very clearly is, is that we want all of this, everything we have to say tonight, to just be like wrapped in grace, okay? Because we're going to say some intense things tonight. We're going to say some things that may not even be popular tonight. And I want you to know that if you have struggled with anything that we're going to talk about tonight, I probably have too. I have probably messed up in the same way. Maybe you've messed up. And I want to let you guys know, too, that there is always grace and forgiveness. So if you walk in here today and you're like hearing us bring up the way, you know, God's, God's ideas for dating and being married and purity and all these different kinds of things. You're like, man, but I'm not living that. Well, just know this. You have a Savior who is crazy about you, who loves you, who wants a relationship with you. And no matter what on this list you may have messed up or not gotten right, his heart is to restore you and to be able to lead you forward into what he would have next for you. So... I'm going to just jump right off into the first question. And the first question is this. Well, really, we had many questions. I'm going to kind of pop up and down as I go here. i got to walk around a little bit. But um, we had a lot of questions. Woo, I'm going to fall, too, apparently. We had a lot of questions about singleness, okay? Holy Spirit's moving already. All right. We had a lot of questions about singleness. And so uh, rather than list every single question, I want to just sort of talk about sort of a theme that I think we found. And we're going to talk a little bit more about singleness next week, too. But I think the big theme that we found, as many of you guys are in that stage of life here tonight, is just this feeling that, man, I, I so feel like when I finally get a boyfriend or girlfriend, when I'm finally married, when I'm finally engaged, then I could finally be satisfied, you know? Then I could finally be happy. I could finally be kind of content in my heart. And you know what? I got to tell you tonight something that I hope will really encourage you. You see, the truth is that this longing and this desire for satisfaction and contentment is not a single problem. It is a human problem. And what you need to hear tonight is right now and right here, you can have your heart satisfied in Jesus. Right now and right, now, right here, you can be content where you are. Marriage is a blessing. I'm so thankful for my wife. But do you know what? If I walk into my marriage thinking that because I'm married now, I'll be satisfied, everything's going to fall apart. I have to be satisfied in Jesus and then I can see what he wants to do here in my marriage and bless me through those different relationships. I remember having a very con candid conversation with my mom years ago before, um, before I was get, about to get married to Kelly. And, and um, she said, you know, Doug, when I got married, I expected as good a 
guy as your dad is, I expected he was going to meet all my needs and satisfy all my longings and fulfill all my emotional desires and even maybe heal me from some of the brokenness in my life. But she said, the first few years of our marriage were really difficult because no human can do that. You have to be satisfied in Jesus. You have to find contentment in Jesus. And so, man, if I could just plead with you to kind of start out here tonight. I'm going to do a lot of pleading tonight because I love you guys. I have such a heart for you guys tonight to not make some of the same mistakes that I've made and not walk some of the same places that I've gone. And so I would just cry out and say, oh, man, if you could just find that satisfaction in Jesus. Find out that he is madly in love with you. Find out that he has everything that you could ever dream wrapped up in who he is. Then... Go into your relationship like that. You're going to have an amazing dating relationship. You're going to have an amazing marriage if that's the way that you approach it. And so don't believe the lie that you have to have this or that to be satisfied. I was recently talking with somebody who was saying, oh, man, I kind of wish I was was where you are, Doug, you know. And I looked back at him and I said, it's kind of funny because I am where I am, but I still have to fight for satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. As blessed as I am in many different ways. And so don't wait. Don't think, i got to sit back, and one day I'll be satisfied, one day I'll be content. No, no, no. Find that here and now, and then watch how God uses that inside your marriage. Okay, next question. Um, Some of you guys are parents in the room, and you're wondering about um, school for your kids. What what do you do? Christian school, homeschool, um, public school. Some of you guys are in school. Some of you guys are in middle school, high school. Some of you guys are in college. Many of you, right? And maybe you're wondering, man, should I go to a Christian college? Should I go to a a public college, like secular college? Like, how does this all work? Um, As a Christian... How do I rationalize going to a Christian school if the world needs to be lit up? Like, how does that all work? So somebody asked a question along these lines, so Kelly's going to handle that one. Um, so we have these three options, uh, Christian school, home school, or public school. And, and the question really isn't which one is right and which one is best. The question is which one is right for your child, if you're a parent, or which one is right for you um, if you're here and you're considering those things for, for college. And, and the only way to know that is really to, to ask God and, and to seek him and let him lead you because they all have, um, you know, different places and purposes in, in followers of Christ's lives. And, and for us, you know, with our kids, we started praying before they went to school, God, what do you have? Where would you put our kids? Because we just want them to be where you have them. And, and right now our kids are in Christian school and, and it's been absolutely um, amazing for us. Um, but, you know, I have friends that their kids are in uh, public school, and they're thriving, and I have friends who are homeschooling, and they're doing, you know, just um, such an incredible job. But, you know, let me just say that if, as a parent or a future parent, you know, as you pray and, and you seek God, and, and maybe you feel like, you know, he's leading you to Christian school, and, and you feel like, you know what, this is impossible. I, I'm never going to afford it. You know, we live on Long Island, and it's so expensive, and there's no way we're going to be able to send our kids to Christian school. Can I just encourage you that... Wherever God has you, he's going to provide for you. Wherever he leads you, he's going to meet your needs. You know, there's been times that we have felt year to year like we can't do it. Like we're not going to be able to send them back to school. And God always comes through and he always provides. And and maybe for you, that's in with college. And you don't know, you know, God, I I have this heart's desire. I feel like you're going to lead me here. But there's no way I could financially do it. Wherever he leads you to, he's going to provide for you. And really, there was a second part to the question is if they are in a Christian school, then then how do we kind of rationalize when we're called to be a light in the world? And, you know, I could tell you 100% that having my kids in Christian school has not taken away from them being a light in the world. You know, we intentionally have our kids in sports um, in our town and, and just surrounded by other families that are lost. And, I, and I, I sit back and I watch the way that they are a light and the way that they stand out. And each of my kids have invited somebody from their team to either youth group or church. I've had moms come over and say to us, um, you know, your, your kid is just so nice. And, and really, they're not seeing a nice kid. They're seeing Christ in our children. Um, but the bottom line when it comes to schooling for your children, for yourself, is God, where do you have me? Where are you going to lead me? And then I'm going to trust that wherever that is, you're going to provide all that I have need of. Awesome. And then Kelly, too, like kind of along those lines, um, you know, as let's say, let, let me say this too, you know, some of you guys are like, well, I'm not a parent yet, you know, like I'm in like, you know, my 11th grade year of school. Like, and, and I'll tell you what, I had so many people I'm so grateful for that when I was in 11th grade, when I was a freshman in college, when I was a senior in college, when I was a young working professional, that they poured into me and trained me for the stages of life that I would get to. So some of this you're going to file away. I'd encourage you to write some notes down, set an alarm for like 10 years from now, let that thing go off, look back at these notes, right? But I encourage you guys to, to drink some of that in. But I would also say, you know, when it comes to um, 
ending up in a, a public school or a public college, like what kind of questions maybe should you be asking your kid um, or, or even gauging in your own heart as you're sitting in secular classes yeah. when it comes to your relationship with God? Yeah. I mean, I, well, first, when it comes to having your kids in public school, I think you have to be really intentional about the conversations that you're having with them. You know, you can't assume that because your kids come to church or to youth group that they're going to automatically recognize when something they're being taught is wrong or, or even worse, it's anti-Christ and, and anti-the Bible. And so talk to them about what's being taught. And, and sometimes it's more than even just find out from them what's being taught. You almost have to... Um, assume and, and, and come up with the questions and the things that they're going to hear and see at school and then have conversations with them. Open up the Bible with them. You want to equip them. You want to give them, you know, just arm them with the ability to be in these classrooms and not have their faith shaken. And, and same when it comes to, you know, you going to a secular college. Um, be in the word. You, you, learn why you believe what you believe. Be able to, to, to give a reason and, and stand up you know, to your college professor and, and go back at him. I, when I was in college, I took Bible as literature in a secular college, and my Bible teacher hated me. I think that it hurt him to give me an A at the end of the uh, semester because I was just going back at him. And, and what I found out later in the semester was that he at one time, you know, was following the Lord. He told me I wanted to be in ministry. And, and then he went through something really difficult, and he got bitter at God, and, and he walked away. And, and who knows, was I there in that classroom to be a light to the kids around me, or was I to be a light to the professor? And I prayed for him, and, and even since then, which was you know almost 20 years ago, I still pray for him from time to time. So, so arm yourself and, and you know guard your own heart that when you hear these things that are going to be so anti uh, the Bible, because you will, not only will your faith not be shaken, but you'll be able to you know give a word um, in season to the people that are with you. Awesome, that was great. Okay, everybody, if you're ready for this next question, you need to say I'm ready. One, two, three. Ready. All right. Not ready. I warned you. All right, here we go. Next question. When dating, what does the Bible say about how far to go physically with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage? What becomes sexual sin? So let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time. Oh, God, you're good. To get the band back up. All right, here we go. You said you're ready. Oh, look at that. All right. Thank you, Lord. All right, you rescued me in my time of turmoil. All right, here's the deal. Let's start at what we know, okay? Let's start at what we know. The scriptures tell us very clearly in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says this. A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and this is what's so important right here, and they become one flesh. Okay? So this means that when you sleep with someone, in God's eyes, you are becoming one flesh, one flesh person okay now this is important and let me let me just remind you with everything we're saying today is wrapped in grace so if you have already crossed this line and you're like oh man what did i do you know what there is grace for you god loves you he can put pieces back together he's for you okay but it's really clear in the scriptures that god says hey hey reserve that for marriage hold back off on that because you're going to become one with that person and how many people do you want to become one with right and so you're gonna become one with that person. And so I think as we look at the scriptures, we have to really align our hearts. Up. Look what it says next in, in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul tells us thousands of years later after Genesis was written, it says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Don't toy with it. Don't like test the waters. Don't play around. Don't let it hang around like your buddy. Run from it. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So if I gossip, that's outside my body, you know? If I lie, that's a sin outside my body. But if I sin sexually, that would be against my own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So this is a big deal. This is why we take this so seriously, because your body is not just your body. It's literally the house of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about your favorite sports team, your favorite band. And I want you to think about the venue that you watch them play in, you know. And I want you to think about the fact that when you go to your favorite stadium or your favorite music or your favorite club or whatever, and you walk in, your band's up there on stage, you're not like breaking the walls down on the back. You're not kicking the sheetrock in, throwing, you know, trash cans through the wall. Why? Because this is the house of your favorite band or your favorite team, right? Well, you know what? Your body is the house of God, the house of the Holy Spirit. When you put your trust in Him, He deposits His Spirit in you. And so we have to take this seriously. Then it says this, you are not your own. I said a few weeks ago, right, that when Jesus got on the cross, it was ugly, it was brutal, it was horrifying. His body was unrecognizable. And it cost that to purchase you and me to save us from our sins. So you and I, we are not our own. We're bought with a price. 
a huge price, the most amazing price, the most mind-blowing price ever. And then it goes on. It says, therefore, honor God with your body. So scripture is clear. Sex is reserved for marriage. So then a lot of us who are super smart start to reason then. We go, okay then. I guess that means anything short of sex is okay, right? I don't think so, right? I'm going to draw a really clear line here for you in a minute. You're going to think I was born in like 1920, but that's okay. But see, here's what we have to realize. Scripture doesn't just tell us not to have sex. Do you know what scripture tells us? To be pure. Be pure. And, And here's what I think we have to wrestle with a little bit. I think often what you and I think is, what can I get away with and not have sex? Whereas the real question is, how can I be pure? So I'll ask you a question. How can you and your boyfriend or girlfriend be pure? How can you do things God's way? How can you make sure that you're setting yourself up to succeed? You see, what I think happens so often is, let's say, you know, kind of falling off the stage here is having sex. I think what so many of us are trying to do is just, we are right here, man. We are right here. And we're so close. And any little mess up, we're going there, right? And so here's what wisdom says. Wisdom says, back yourself up from the edge. Maybe take some time backstage, hang out in the green room a little bit, right? And here we, not the youth group green room, you know what I mean. That's right. And so back yourself, I mean, that's a great place too. But, but back yourself away from the edge, right? And I think so many of us live right here. See, here's the thing, you know, and hey, I got my 10-year-old in the front row, so we're going for this. Hey, Lando, how you doing today, bud? How's that? So here we are, right? So listen, when we're here, right? And if I could use this frame, this, this, this phrase here, and our engine starts kind of revving because we're getting heated up here, right? One little mistake, one little like extra rev of the engine, we're in trouble, right? But we got to start backing ourselves up. That's why when here our heart starts beating a little bit and we go a little further than we thought, look how far we are from the edge, right? And so we got to set ourselves up to succeed. So let me get a little bit creepy here for a second, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna to give you guys... A question that's going to torment you for life. I hope, I'm so excited about this. Okay. All right, ready? What would you feel comfortable doing in front of your parents? You're all like, I'm breaking up with them right now. I don't even want to. Like, I, I'm sorry, hon, we're done. No, it's like, right? It's like creepy, right? Right? Why do I say that? Because if you won't do it in front of your parents, there's probably a reason why. It's probably wrong, right? And you know what? You're not just doing it in front of your parents. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're doing it in front of Jesus, okay? And so this is so important. Again, I'm not saying all this because I want to ruin your fun. God is wise, and he knows how things work. He created us, and so he gets to say, hey, look, I want to tell you how to do this, and the best way this is going to work is when you are married, and that's going to be blessed. And if I could just say this too, sex is an incredible gift. Often in church we hear, it's, oh, it's bad, it's bad. It's bad. No, it's a beautiful, awesome, wonderful, amazing gift from God when used in the correct way. And so we're thankful to God for sex, but it's so often misused, which so often leads to brokenness. And so, if I can sound like I'm from 1920 for a minute, do you know where I think is probably a wise place to set your standards? I would say, probably anything more than some light kissing is going to get you in trouble. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree that kind of gets things just, man, things are getting revved up and amped up and you're getting closer and closer and closer to crossing that line. And some of you guys may say, but I don't know how to live this, man. Well, first, we got to rely on Jesus, like that verse Andrew shared during worship. It's like he is the vine and we are the branches and we need life from him. So you got to be close to Jesus. It is possible to live a pure life. It is. But you know what? When we fall short, his grace is there. We often talk about grace being like this two-headed coin, right? On the one side of the coin, you have the grace that empowers you. Oh, man, thank God I can cling to him and he can empower me to live a pure life. But on the other, head of the, uh, the other side of that coin is grace that forgives for when you and I fall short, for when you and I don't get it right. My brother-in-law, Seth, once talked about, you know, just setting yourself up to succeed. And this is what we have to be smart with, guys. Like, if I can just get in your face because I love you and because I've made some of these same mistakes, man, like you and your girlfriend in your car late at night, probably not going to go well, Right? Like hanging out in your den and everybody else is asleep in the other part of the house, probably not going to go well. You and her at your apartment, probably not going to go well, right? And so setting yourself up to succeed. So anyway, my, my, my buddy Seth's talking to somebody one day and they said, man, 
I struggle with alcohol, and I just wish that God would give me the strength so when I'm in the bar, I don't get drunk. Every time I go to the bar, I get drunk. So my brother-in-law said, stop going to the bar. And that's the thing. Some of us, we're going to the bar, so to speak, in our dating relationships. And then we're going, oh, God, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength. Right? Stop going to the bar, right? Back yourself up. I know this sounds extreme, but I'll tell you what, I have counseled a lot of people in my life, and no one has ever said to me, man, I'm so thankful I crossed that line time and time again. I'm, I've never heard anybody say, man, I'm so thankful I got as close to the edge as I could, even without doing it, man. That was so great. Now, once in a while, I'm sure there's those thoughts in people's heads of like, you know, almost in a sinful way, remembering certain things that, that excited for a season, but the scriptures tell us that's only a season, and then sin bites back, man. I, on the other hand, I've counseled many people who have said sin, sexual sin especially, has left me broken. And again, if you've crossed those lines, if you've struggled with this, if you've toyed with the edge like I did when I was dating, I'll tell you what, we have a great God who forgives and loves and restores us. But I would love to see you save the pain on the front end. And so I would so encourage you to just, all right, God, what do you have for me? Not what can I get away with, what can I do to be pure? Kelly's going to add a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think that sometimes in dating relationships, couples believe this lie that if we've already failed in the area of purity, that it doesn't matter if we just continue to. You know, it's like, you know, we've already messed up, so there, there's nothing to save anymore. There's nothing, you know, that we haven't done, so we'll just keep going. And, um, you know, or, or maybe you're in a different relationship, and you look back at your past, and you see that you know, you've already crossed the line, or maybe you've already, you know, had sex, and you're like, you know what, what does it even matter? We might as well have that in my new relationship, too, because, again, like, we've already failed, and, and um, you know, we, there's nothing to save for. And, and it's such a lie, because, you know, God's grace is poured out on us, um, when, we, when we come to him, and um, his grace frees us from that guilt and that shame, but it also, like Doug said, it frees us from repeating the patterns of our past. It frees us from those strongholds that we once um, had walked in. You know, I've known engaged couples, and I, and I always find this just so incredible, that we're living impure, and whether the Holy Spirit just brought conviction, just shook them and woke them up, or, or they came to Christ for the first time, and they stopped having sex before marriage during their engagement and, and waited, and I believe that that honored God. And, you know, I've also known couples that have come in with a, with a past, and, and each of them, you know, brought into that relationship, and they said, you know what, no, this relationship is going to be different. We don't have to repeat those patterns of the past just because we've already done these things. So don't buy into that lie. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he spoke about um, the story about Augustine, who was this incredible theologian who spoke a lot about grace. And this was someone who was so completely transformed. This is someone that you would never believe uh, would not only come to Christ, but that God would use him so mightily. But that's what God does, isn't it? He takes those who are least likely, and he shows his power through them. But Augustine, before he was converted, he lived a life of lust and purity. If you read his story, I mean, he lived with prostitutes. He lived with different mistresses, and, and lust was a huge problem for him. And after he came to Christ, he was just completely changed and transformed. And, and one day he was walking in the street, and one of his mistresses or prostitutes saw him and called his name and said Augustine and he saw her but he just kept walking and she again called after him Augustine Augustine and he just kept going and finally she ran after him and she yelled out and said Augustine it's me and this time he turned around and he said I know he said but it is no longer me meaning that he was a new creation in Christ and that's what I want to say to you you are a new creation in Christ you are not who you once where you don't have to continue the pattern of impurity just because you've already been there in your past. You know, thank God for his grace. Value his precious grace, but also by his grace live differently. Awesome. Okay. Kelly, next question. Uh, there are things in my spouse or my boyfriend or girlfriend that I think need to change. Uh, so we're just kind of like squashing some questions here together. What is my role in helping them change? And so, you know, you're going to answer for both sides, so a husband to a wife or a boyfriend to a girlfriend, girlfriend to a boyfriend, you know what I mean. Okay. Um, so it is not our job to point out our spouses or our boyfriend or girlfriend's flaws and then try to fix them. Um, one of my biggest goals in our marriage is that I would be Doug's biggest encourager. You know, I, I've said this in our marriage counseling groups. I've said that to make your spouse feel 
like if the whole entire world was against them, that they know that they're going to come home to you and they're going to be built up and they're going to find encouragement. Um, I always say be your spouse's biggest fan, not their biggest critic. The other side is true is I know that if I am his biggest critic, I'm going to destroy our relationship. I'm going to push him away from me. And, you know, when I'm tempted to nitpick at him and I'm tempted to, you know, tell him something he did wrong or point out his flaws. This I never one do verse, anything wrong, so nice try. That. This one verse often comes to my head in Proverbs. Let's go in prayer again. Okay. 14.1 says this, that the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. If I tear down my husband, I'm going to tear down my home. It's not going to just be him that I'm going to damage. And it's not just going to be our relationship I'm going to damage. I'm going to damage my children. You know, if, if my daughter Bryn has the example of me constantly criticizing and attacking my husband, that's going to shape the kind of wife that she's going to be. Um, if Landon and Cade see their father constantly berating, attacking, and criticizing me, that's going to shape the kind of husband they're going to be. So then the question is, so what do we do when we see flaws? Do we just ignore them? Do we just pretend that they're not there? And um, I think that there are definitely times, and this applies to a husband and wife, this applies to a dating relationship, that you need to go to your husband, wife, spouse, whatever it is, and shine a light, so to speak, into their heart. And, 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 and in love, point out some things to them. And you know, there's a huge difference between loving someone so much that you, you, you go to them about the things that you're concerned about and just attacking, berating, and criticizing somebody. Um, you know, when you go to them in love, um, you know, I think one of the, or two of the ways that is necessary is if you see something that is dangerous or sinful. You, and, and if, you know, because you love that person, you're going to go to them. But I think that so often that's not the kind of criticism and the kind of change that we want to see in our spouse. It's, it's those little day-in, day-out criticisms that destroy the person and destroy the relationship. So you have to ask yourself, is this something that I need to go to them? Are they in danger? Are they going down a road that's going to harm them and harm our family? Or is this something that either I need to just kind of let go because it's, you know, maybe something about him that just annoys me or, you know, not necessary for me to point out? And it's, you're great. You really are. Um, or, you know, that I need to just shut my mouth and pray. I mean, there's been things in our marriage that I first handled it wrong by annoying him. Um, have, you, have you ever driven in the car with Doug? Anyone? Yeah, it's dangerous, right? Yeah. So there was a time that I was like, Doug, you got to stop. Oh, Doug, and, and driving him absolutely insane. And I remember a point of feeling. I'm not, I'm not good at it anymore. I was just saying you drove me crazy. Oh, I did yeah, drive yeah. him crazy. I didn't want to die and, or our children. But I remember a point of just feeling like shut your mouth and pray and just ask God to just work in him. And there are so many things that better than bringing to them is just shutting our mouths and praying. And so how do you know which one to do? You got to seek God and you got to have wisdom and you got to ask God, is this something that you want me? You want to use me to bring to light? Or is this something that, you know, can just brush off my back and I'm just being kind of a critical person right now? But, you know, out of everything I said, I think the most important thing with this question that you hear me say is that you will do so much more in helping your spouse um, change and grow by encouraging them and building them up rather than criticizing and tearing them down. Yeah. And I would say the exact same thing for the husband to you, the wife, boyfriend to you, girlfriend. Uh, next question, how do I know I'm dating the right person? A couple things. Do they push you toward God? Okay, so uh, you're walking through life, and are they the kind of person that's coming around you and helping you get closer to Jesus, or are they pulling you further away? The other side is also true. Are they the kind of person that you can push toward God that will allow you to, you know, kind of come alongside them and say, hey, have you prayed about this, or can we read some scripture together, or hey, let's, let's pray about this thing that just, you know, we just blew up at each other. Let, let's, let's bring this to God and not just sort of stay angry at each other. Are they the kind of person that... You can push toward God or the kind of person that will push you toward God. And then some of you guys might say, and even some questions came in about this, well, um, I'm not, you know, in a relationship with a Christian, so how's that supposed to work? 
And um, it's one thing if you're married to someone that's not a Christian. It's another thing if you're dating someone that's not a Christian. Um, if you're dating someone that's not a Christian, it's an indicator that you're in the wrong relationship. Let's check out 2 Corinthians 6.14. I'll explain this weirdly worded verse. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Okay? Now, there's a picture up here of a yoke on some cattle. And you're sitting there going, did Doug just call me a cow? No, I did not. But there it is. And so there is that wood piece, that yoke. And the reason they would do this is they would get these two cattle together and they'd be pulling some plows behind them. And here's what they knew. If they didn't put that yoke on them and yoke them together, then what was going to happen? They were going to end up going in totally different directions, right? And everything that they were trying to accomplish would be destroyed. And that's exactly why the scriptures tell us that we should not be unequally yoked. We should be yoked together or drawn together or walking side by side with someone that's headed in the same direction. Somebody might say, well, are you saying that Christians are better than non-Christians? Absolutely not. This is not an issue of worth. It's an issue of direction. And so scriptures tell us, hey, if you're walking toward Jesus, you got to be walking with somebody who's also walking toward Jesus, somebody that can push you toward Jesus and someone that you can also put toward Jesus, push toward Jesus. If uh, you're in a marriage relationship with someone who's not a Christian, then it's different. You love them well. You fight for them. You fight for the marriage. You fight for in prayer that they would put their trust in Jesus. You, you try to display the best of your ability by God's strength and empowering the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus so that God might rescue them as well. Next question. How can I pray for my child who's struggling in their faith? And we'll also tweak the question a little bit because some of the people in this room are that child maybe struggling in their faith. Maybe they are that young person or that college student struggling in their faith. I struggled in my faith horrifically during college in my early adulthood. And so it, how do you help your child through that? Or what if you're the person wrestling with it? I think the first and the best way um, that we help our child if they're struggling in their faith is we fight for them in prayer. And I, I say fight because it's, it's not something that we can take a casual approach about. Um, as parents, when someone is threatening or hurting your child, there is a, a, like a mama bear or a papa bear that rises up in us to protect our child. Um, my mom is one of the sweetest people that I've ever met until you hurt her child or her grandchild. And then we say that like Brooklyn comes out of her because she's from Brooklyn, where she starts to like move her neck like, in a way that I didn't think was possible. I can't even do it. But she gets really feisty. And, and I've seen moms go from sweet to a force to be reckoned with when their child is um, threatened. And, and same with dads too. And I think how much more should we bring that feistiness into when our child's soul is at stake? You know, the enemy is out to undermine our faith undermine our children's faith, um, and we need to fight in prayer for them. You know, I think of Jacob in Genesis 32, who had talked about how he wrestled with God, and he said to God, he said, I, you know, I am not going to let you go until you bless me, and that's the mindset that we have to have with our children, that I don't care if your child is 10 or if, if they're 50 or you, again, like Doug said, file this away for a future when you have kids. You fight in prayer for your child, and you refuse to let God go until he um, responds. You know, when I've been praying for somebody for a long time, and, and this applies to any person in your life that you're praying for, um, for salvation, and, and it seems like God's not responding or nothing in them is changing. It can be really discouraging. And, you know, so often I remind myself of, of George Mueller, and I'm so encouraged by him. And, and George Mueller was this um, missionary and pastor back in the 1800s, and he had such a commitment to pray through until he saw those that he was praying for um, converted. And, and he wrote something in his diary that was incredibly powerful. And, and I hope that you'll hear it. I just want to read it to you. It says this, in November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. 18 months elapsed before the first of the five were converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remain unconverted. Now, 36 years after he wrote this, he wrote that the other two were still unconverted. And how, how many of us would just give up at that point and say it's hopeless, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to stop praying. But that's not what he did, and that's not what he wrote. He wrote this in his diary. He said, but I hope in God. I pray on, and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. 
And I love that faith, that, that refusal to not let God go until he responds. And, you know, after he died, those other two that he had prayed for for so many years, they both were converted. One was converted at his funeral where he actually fell to his knees next to George Mueller's casket and he cried out and said, God, rescue a sinner like me. So fight in prayer for your kids. You know, pray consistently. Jesus said we ought always to pray and not give up. Now that being said, I just want to give some encouragement. If there are parents in here or listening that are going through something with, like that with your child and it's so painful and it's so frustrating, and so often we are tempted to blame ourselves. So often we're tempted to kind of drive ourselves crazy trying to figure out what we could have done differently so that our child didn't go through that struggling of their faith. And, um, you know, I grew up with great parents. Uh, my parents taught me the gospel at a young age. My parents modeled uh, loving Jesus and making Jesus their treasure. And yet I went through a time in my life that although I probably kept up an appearance of being Christ-like, my heart was really far from God. And, uh, and nobody knew that I was going through that because I kept it to myself and, and I told no one. Um, I shared this at Deeper a couple years ago, but I remember one time I was sitting in my bedroom. I was in my early 20s, and, and, um, and I was trying to read the Bible, and instead of reading, because I was struggling, I, I took out a piece of paper, and on the paper I wrote, walking by blind faith, or just simply blind, question mark. And at that time in my life, I questioned where God was. I had gone through a lot of painful situations and a lot of disappointments leading up to that. And I questioned everything that I believed about God. And I, I stuck that in my Bible. And years later, I would say five or six years later, um, I found it. I opened up my Bible, an older one of mine, and it fell out. And I was already married at this point and past that season of my life. And I remember reading it and, and being so grieved that I would feel that way and I would write that about such an incredible God and you know God was so gracious to me and, and this is if you're struggling in your faith tonight I just want to encourage you he was so gracious to me to not only bring me out of that season of life but he brought me out on the other side with stronger faith and it was not my parents fault there wasn't anything they could have done differently that would have prevented me from going through that crisis of faith and so they couldn't blame themselves but I really believe I had to go through that because then I came out on the other side with a faith that was my own and not just my parents. And so first parents, I just wanna encourage you and say that you know, if it seems like your child has walked away from the Lord, so often God allows us to get so far and then draws us back. You know, We have a faithful God who finishes what he starts in a life. And so maybe that's not even your child, maybe that is a sibling of yours that you grew up with and you've seen them walk away from God and your heart is just grieved. And my encouragement to you is the same, that you, you pray for them and you fight for them and, and you see how faithful a God, our God is to bring um, back. But also, if that is somebody in your life, whether you're the parent or you're a friend um, or a sibling, you know, so how do we, what else can we do? And, and the answer is that we love them and, and we let them know that it's okay to talk to us about your struggles and your doubts that you have and, and let them know that you're never ever going to reject them for struggling in their faith. You know, you, you love them and then like Jacob, you wrestle with God and, and you pray and pray until you see God break through. Awesome. I want to just encourage you guys with um, something that I've been learning lately as a leader and I think it applies to a lot of different areas of our lives. Um, some of you guys hear us talk tonight about purity, right? And so you're like, okay, I'm gonna live, like aim at living a pure life now, you know? I'm gonna stop messing around and so, you know, me and my, in this relationship, we're gonna try and live purely. And, and you try to make that change and then you stumble. Or maybe as a parent, maybe you're just super discouraged because you have been trying to change the culture in your home for so long and it feels like the kids keep winning, you know? Like, I don't know how to get this right. I don't know how to figure this all out. I don't know how to make everybody get along, and, right? So I don't know if, if, where this will apply to you in your life, but I think it'll apply to a lot of us as we're trying to see change happen. I know for me, I would get up on the stage here if there was some change I wanted to see in the church, and I would preach a message, and I'd get off the stage, and I'd be like, okay, now everything's going to be different. And it was like minimal change. And the minimal change only lasted like a few weeks. And then I'd get frustrated, and you know what I'd start to think? I guess there's nothing I can do about this. 
But God taught me something. And I think it applies to you as a parent. I think it applies to you as you try to live a pure life. Even if you're single and you're trying to just live a pure life. And you're trying to stop. I'm going to stop looking at that crap on the screen. I'm going to try to just honor Jesus with my eyes. and Right? But you stumble and you stumble and you stumble. Here's, here's a little phrase I hope will encourage you. Prayerful, patient consistency. Prayerful, patient consistency. Here's what I want you to do. Instead of giving up and just deciding, I'm always going to look at that stuff on the screen, or me and my girlfriend are always going to mess up, or my, my kids are always going to, I'm, I'm never going to be a great parent, and this home is always going to be a place that's just full of stress and a mess. I want you to be prayerful about it. I want you to day after day get up and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I fell short. Jesus, my kids this. Jesus, my spouse that. My, my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend this, right? And be prayerful. But those two other words are so important. Patient consistency. Because you know what I realized? Okay, I get up and I preach my message and there's minimal change. Okay, celebrate the minimal change. And then soon after, reinforce that vision. Be consistent with that vision. And there might be a little bit more minimal change. Celebrate that, right? It's kind of like in football, right? A lot of us watch football today. You know what? No one, after a five-yard gain, you know, you're on the 20-yard line on your own side of the field. You get to the 25. No one's jumping off, off, off the couch like, yes, right? We save that for the touchdown. But do you know what a touchdown usually takes unless you're Aaron Rodgers? You can throw the, the, the ball across an entire field. It takes a lot of five-yard gains, right? So celebrate the five-yard gains. And sometimes they'll get five yards, they'll get ten yards, but then they get pushed back some. And that's a part of this patient consistency. And so, man, I've just learned that if you want to see lasting change take place in your life, be it purity, be it parenting, be it relationship, it's going to take prayerful, patient consistency. So what does that mean for you? You know what? You make it throughout this week, and you don't look at any porn, and you've been struggling with porn for a year, celebrate the five-yard gain. Have you beat it? Is this victory? Have you scored a touchdown and this will never be a struggle of yours again? No. You celebrate the five-yard gain. Uh, in parenting, oh, man, thank God, man. It went through the whole week and we didn't get any calls from the principal. Thank you, Jesus, right? Celebrate the five-yard gain. Wow, everybody got along today. We just had a lot of fun and we just encouraged each other. That's a five-yard gain. And a lot of five-yard gains eventually equal that touchdown, right? And so I would just encourage you guys to kind of adopt that, that long view, that long plan as you continue to pursue Jesus and pursue purity and pursue great parenting and, and pursue even singleness, all these things, man, it takes that prayerful, patient consistency. All right, last question for Kelly, and then I'm just going to tackle something and we're going to close up. Um, Kelly, somebody here uh, asked us, I'm having a difficult time being content. And again, this contentment is going to be very specific to a certain situation, but Kelly's going to address some issues that are going to deal with contentment across the board. This specific question is about a mom feeling like she can't move forward with her life or be happy until she's a mother. But you know what? This is maybe you until you have a dating relationship or you until you're engaged or you until you're married or you until maybe some grandparents here in the room tonight until your, your grandkids are doing well. So how would you answer these questions? Um, first, I mean, being specific to the, the woman who asked this question that she can't be content until she becomes a mother. And the first thing I would say is that my heart aches for you. You know, I don't know, you know, if you've had fertility treatments that have failed or if you've, you know, had miscarriages. Um, but I just want to encourage you that just because something hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. And when I read your question immediately, I thought of Hannah in 1 Samuel, who was so grieved over not being able to have a child that um, she couldn't even eat. And so what did she do? Um, she went before the Lord, and, and she could barely get words out. She sobbed. And she weeps, she sobbed so much that, you know, people thought that she was, um, that there was something wrong with her, that she was drunk or something else. But she cried out to the Lord, and he responded, and he did a miracle on her behalf. And, and your desire to be a mom is a good thing. And, you know, let me just say this to some of the single girls out there, because I've, I've heard women say this to me, that even before they were married, they had this fear that they would never be able to have kids. They had this fear that they, they carried with themselves that, you know, that someday that they'll never have the family that they so hope to and, and look forward to. And so let me just speak that to you as well. There are women throughout the word of God that we see that it seemed hopeless that they could ever have a child. And then God did a miracle. God responded. And so don't stop hoping. If you're a single person, do not carry that fear with you. Turn that fear into prayer. I think, you know, that's one of the greatest strategies when the enemy throws fear at us. We just flip that fear into prayer. And we say, God, it's my desire to be a mom. Would you bless me in that way someday um, in your time? 
So, um, you know, I would also, to that person, or, or really to anybody who um, would hear this, I would, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider adoption. You know, there are so many kids out there that need a godly home. And really the gospel is, the heart of adoption is the gospel. You know, that we were orphans, and God took us in and made us uh, his child. But I also just want to very, just with grace, just respond to that part of the question that says you feel like you can't be happy until. And, and that carries over into so many areas of our life. God, I can't be happy until this is fixed. I can't be happy until I'm better. I can't, whatever it is. And, um, you know, we can live in this paradigm shift, being followers of Christ, where we are sorrowful, yet we can rejoice. You know, we can be hurting and, and real with our hurting. I hope that you guys know that it is not Christ-like to pretend that you're not hurting and to bury what you're feeling. Be real with your hurt, but at the very same time, you can be full of hope because of the mighty God that we have. And, and the only way that we can walk through some of these kinds of painful situations and, and waiting and, 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 and not seeing responses to the prayers that we're praying is by not losing sight of all we do have in Christ. You know, not losing sight of the fact that, that we have been made a child of God by no doing of our own, that, that he came to rescue us when we were his enemy, that this short life is not all that there is, and there's so much more to look forward to. So while you're waiting, that to the mom that's waiting to be a mom, or the woman waiting to be a mom, or the single that's waiting to get married, or whatever it is that you are waiting on God for, while you're waiting, keep your eyes fixed on all that you have in Christ. Because the truth is that nothing is going to satisfy you like Jesus. You know, the gifts that he gives us are, are good and they bring joy, but nothing compares to having him. Jonathan Edwards um, put this in such an incredible way, and, and I just want to read it to you. It says this, that God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here, better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but the scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but the streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Awesome. I just want to close tonight just encouraging you with something. You see, there's a decision that I think that we need to make as followers of Jesus. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're new to all this. And, and there's something I want to encourage us to sort of partner in on together. Because a few years ago, Kelly and I were away on a marriage retreat. And some of you guys may know Pastor Michelle over from Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle. And somebody was asking questions in a Q&A. And they said, what is one of the greatest things you can do for your marriage, for your family, for your children? And this would apply, again, to dating relationships, singleness, everything. He said this. He said, be in church every Sunday. Now, you think I'm supposed to say that, right, because I'm the pastor, and I like when everybody's in church on Sunday. But I'm not telling you that because I like people in church on Sunday. I'm telling you that because when you are in church on Sunday, you are being drawn closer to the answer to every single question that came in. You see, Jesus is the answer to every single question. I hope you've seen that tonight. Some aspect of our relationship with him, our trusting in him, our nearness to him, our prayer to him, our, our relationship with him is the answer to all that we have brought. The greatest thing I can do for my, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, is to be as close to Jesus as I can be. And so I would so encourage you to be here because in this place, we're going to push you toward Jesus. Our mission is to help people center their lives around Jesus. And so being here is such a big deal. Some of you guys who've done premarital counseling with us, you've seen me do my, my cheesy triangle, but it's so true. So Kelly's going to hold the mic here. But um, let's say this is you, right? Oh, oh, all right. Okay. All right. There it is. I almost had a formal there. All right. So let's say this is you. Let's say this is your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend. This is you, your sibling, or not sibling. Well, yeah, why not? Okay. We'll go with that. Uh, this is your child, right? And so this is you. This is that other person, right? The closer you both get to Jesus, the closer you get to one another. Incredibly cheesy, but incredibly true. And it's the reality. And so you know what? I want to encourage you to make this decision because here's the thing that happens in our lives. A ton of busy, crazy stuff comes up, right? And suddenly we find ourselves choosing other things than church. And I'm telling you, we need this. Last Sunday I didn't preach. I was sitting in the front row. I so badly needed the encouragement of being in a worship service, 
of hearing the word of God preached by Andrew, of friendship and fellowship. I need this. My family needs this. And so, man, we're going to make sure we're investing in this, you know. I mean, I know some of you guys, you know, hey, I'm on vacation. That's one thing. Or you're a nurse or a doctor or a policeman. You get scheduled on Sunday. Okay, it is what it is. But I'm telling you, man, being here is so important. And for those of you guys who are younger, man, you are going to set your future family on an amazing course if you make this decision now. Because I'm going to tell you something. You think you're busy now. Wait till you have kids. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that. I know a lot of you are busy in this room. But kids takes it up by about 3 billion notches. Okay? And they're a tremendous blessing. I'm so thankful for them. But make that decision now. Carve that out. Make that part of who you are. I am in church on Sunday. My family will be church on Sunday. See here? I think about it this way. My kids are incredibly talented. And they're going to do whatever God calls them to do. But there's a one in a billion chance of them... And maybe they're the one, but there's a one in a billion chance of them being a professional athlete or an actor or whatever. So if acting lessons are on Sunday morning or if basketball or baseball are on Sunday morning, then guess what? There is a great chance my kids are going to be followers of Jesus. And so I got one in a billion and they could miss church or I got great chance of them being a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to invest in them and get them to church. So I will stand on a baseball field for nine hours on Saturday, but we're going to be in church on Sunday. If my daughter has a basketball game at noon on Sunday, she'll be at the 930 or the 7 because we go to church on Sunday. Can I just say something? If you are between the, the grades of 6 and 12 and you're not at the green room, what are you doing with your life? You need to be here on a Friday night. Because Joey and the team are going to push you to Jesus. My kids will not miss it. My son, Landon, who's 10, is already bribing us in this way and that way to make sure that every ounce of green room life happens one day. And so I so encourage you, man, make the decision that this is what you do on Sunday. Green room, if you're younger, is what you do on Friday. A party comes up, an invitation comes up. Sorry, this is what I do on Sunday. This is what I do on Friday because it's here that we're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus, and have then stamina for the rest of the week. Of course, we spend time with Jesus the rest of the week, too. But I'm telling you, there's something very special about what happens in this place when we're gathered together. So I so encourage you. Best thing you can do for your dating relationship, be here every Sunday. Best thing you can do for your relationship with your wife, with your husband, with your children, be here every Sunday. Best thing you can do as a single person, be here every Sunday. Have your soul satisfied in Jesus and bring that into everything else. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard tonight that Jesus died a brutal death for you. That he was crucified in your place to take away your sins, and he rose back from the dead. And he wants a relationship with you. If you want to put your trust in him, I'm going to give you a chance to do that in just a minute. But let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We love you, God, and we're grateful to you. And we pray, Lord, that today, Lord, our hearts will just be drawn so close to you, God, and the things that we wrestle with and these different intense, weighty things that we've talked about tonight, Lord, we'll see you making a big difference in, Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you just pray about something that really stuck out to you tonight? Would you pray about something that maybe has been a battle for you or something you've been wrestling with? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, I just encourage you to pray like, pray like this with me right now. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for me. Thank you so much that you died on a cross and you, you were brutally murdered so that I could know you. Thank you that now, God, I belong to you. That I belong that I'm loved, that I'm wanted, that I'm desired, whether I, I kept every, you know, thing on those lists that Kelly and Doug brought up tonight or I, I messed up every single one of them. You want me. And I thank you for this forgiveness. And I thank you for this grace. And I pray you'll show me what it is now to follow you. In your name I pray. Amen.